We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 309 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, May 6th, 2022. One week from today will be Friday the 13th. But if you're a Capitals fan like me, Thursday night felt like a Friday the 13th. A horror show is what we had as Caps fans on Thursday night. The Caps on Thursday night got brought back down to earth big time. A 5-1 loss at the Florida Panthers to even that first round series in the Stanley Cup playoffs at one. You know, on the one hand, we all would have signed up for splitting the first two games of the series, given that both took place in Florida. But on the other hand, it was alarming. It was disturbing to see the Caps on Thursday night play as poorly as they did. Uh, That was not good, people. Uh, A full breakdown of the game is coming up in a bit. But good to have you with us on this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Thank you to you for listening and downloading and subscribing and supporting our sponsors. Uh, Please, if you could spare like 30 seconds of your time, give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you use either to listen to this podcast. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please write a brief review saying how much that you like the podcast. Uh, The review does not have to be long, okay? The review can be just a sentence or two, that's fine. Your review can be shorter than the Al Saunders 700-page playbook for the Redskins. Uh, speaking of that team, which now goes by the name Commanders, in case you don't know, uh, our next segment will explore a few things that have struck me over the last week regarding the Commanders' biggest move of this offseason, the trade for Carson Wentz. And I'm actually going to open up about something. Now, we are all friends, right? We're all buddies, right? We can be honest with each other, right? This show is a tree of trust, is it not? Yes, it is. Uh, Well, next segment, I'm going to explain why I'm actually feeling better about the commander's trade for Carson Wentz. Uh, The more that we learn about the context of the trade, 
the more that I do think that the trade makes sense from a commander's perspective. And I think it's okay to not hate the trade. Uh, I shall explain. Also on the show, we'll talk Nationals. Uh, They on Thursday lost what I would call a classic Coors Field game, a 9-7 loss at the Colorado Rockies to lose the series two games to one. This was your typical softball game (laughs) at Coors Field between the Rockies and whichever poor team has to play the Rockies at Coors Field. Now, the Nats on Thursday hit. Oh, they hit. Uh, They just did not pitch. Uh, And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They on Thursday night won 5-3 over the Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for a four-game split. I have some thoughts on the game, and I'll react to the major Orioles news on Thursday. We on Thursday had multiple reports that the O's are promoting catcher Adley Rutschman and left-handed starting pitcher D.L. Hall to AAA Norfolk. Two of the Orioles' top five prospects are about to be a step away from the majors. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Kim in Pennsylvania on the Commander's 2022 draft. Writes Kim, I do wish we picked the best player available, the BPA, for our first round selection. We could have had a Kyle Hamilton or a Chris Olave. I think our moving down in the first round of the draft for more picks proved that we have a lot of needs and proved that this team does have a ways to go to be competitive. For a fan, I'm at a level C of excitement. Had we gone for a splashier guy like one of the guys above, I would have said B. Well, thank you for the email, Kim. Uh, I think that the commanders would tell you that Jahan Dotson is a splashy pick. I think that the commanders would tell you that they did go BPA. They did go best player available in taking Dodson. Now, we'll see if the team is proven right on having chosen Dodson over Chris Olave and Jamison Williams and Kyle Hamilton. Remember, though, you have to look at the trade down in terms of what it ultimately led to. The commanders essentially parlayed the trade down in the first round of the 2022 draft into four players, Jahan Dodson, Brian Robinson Jr., Sam Howell, and Cole Turner. So evaluating the trade isn't as simple as Jahan Dodson versus Chris Olave or versus Jamison Williams or versus Kyle Hamilton. Uh, Email from Ryan on the Commander's 2022 draft. Writes, Ryan, I have been a big fan since you were on the radio and I'm very glad that I found this podcast. Well, thank you, Ryan. Continues, Ryan. I wanted to speak briefly about two of the Commander's draft picks. In watching the film of Jahan Dodson, the thing that stood out to me was what he did after scoring touchdowns. He almost always tossed the football to the official immediately and then celebrated with his teammates. Me likey. And I am happy with the Sam Howell pick. We shall see how he progresses. But I read an article by Doug Farrar of USA Today, and he referenced Howell as potentially ending up as the commander-in-chief for Washington. Good read, but I just like that title. I guess that makes Commander Carson the current commander-in-chief. Or is it Don Ron? Anyway, keep doing what you do. We will keep listening. Well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, Yeah, see, I would say that Ron Rivera, because he is the head of the Carolina Commanders Mafia, because he is the Don, because he is Don Ron, uh, is the commander-in-chief. To me, Carson Wentz 
has to be Commander Carson because the alliteration is just too perfect. Uh, by the way, speaking of Commander Carson and the new name Commanders and the rebrand, uh, the marching band is back. Did you see that? A uh, big announcement by the Commanders on Thursday morning. Headline, Washington Commanders announced the return of the marching band for the 2022 NFL season. Uh, reads the release from the team, quote, building on 85 years of tradition and with the team's first ever music director at the helm, the 2022 Commanders Marching Band will combine old and new traditions as the team heads into the inaugural season of the Washington Commanders. Interested musicians who believe they have the ability to take the field with the 2022 Commanders Marching Band can submit video auditions through May 23rd, 2022, end quote. So all of you listening, put your video auditions together and submit them and know that the deadline is May 23rd. But you know what? I like this. I like that the commanders are bringing back the marching band. Now, some other interesting nuggets in this release that was put out by the commanders. Did you know that Washington's marching band is the oldest marching band in the history of the NFL, originally founded in 1937 as an all-volunteer ensemble that pioneered halftime entertainment. Also, the marching band is going to have a new look and uniforms, which were designed in part by the co-owner and co-CEO of the Commanders, Tanya Snyder. Yes, designer Tanya. Uh, she put in her two cents when it came to the new look and new unis for the marching band that are coming. So, you know, we poke fun at a lot of stuff. I certainly do. I like to have my fun with things, okay? Uh, but I will say this. Plenty of people were not happy about the end of the marching band. I didn't really understand why the team got rid of the marching band. So good for the team for listening to the fans and good for the team for bringing the band back. I mean, you could say, well, the band should have never gone anywhere to begin with, but whatever. Like with the crest, the team, it would appear, is righting a wrong. And that's a good thing, okay? Admit a mistake, fix the mistake, and move on. Uh, I am very interested in seeing and hearing what the new fight song will be. Yes, there's going to be a new fight song. That was in uh, the release that was put out by the team. Quote, the team plans to bring back a revamped arrangement of the team's original fight song, which was first introduced in 1938. End quote. What is that song going to be? What is that song going to sound like? That's going to be interesting. I mean, Hail to the Redskins was a great song, is a great song. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to come up with a new fight song that everyone doesn't hate, okay? That's going to be tough. Uh, also, the commanders have changed their hashtag. Are you aware of that? Uh, the commanders during NFL Draft Weekend last weekend changed their hashtag from Take Command to HTTC, as in Hail to the Commanders. Yes, HTTC now officially is a thing, or at least the team is trying to make it a thing. Now, the team did a Twitter poll on potential hashtags, and HTTC did win the poll. I have to tell you, I much prefer HTTC to take command. Three reasons. Number one, take command to me 
always came off as like cheesy and try hard and very mockable. Okay. I mocked take command. Uh, number two, HTTC to me anyway, comes off as a lot less cheesy, a lot less try hard and a lot less mockable. And, you know, in a Twitter verse in which we have a number of abbreviations for phrases, HTTC can be another abbreviation, right? I mean, we have LOL for laugh out loud. We have IDK for I don't know. Uh, We have IDGAF for I don't give an F. Uh, We have a bunch of things like that. So why not HTTC? And then number three, HTTC, of course, is a link to the past. HTTR, hail to the Redskins. Hail to the Redskins was a great thing. Uh, You could argue that Redskins should have never gone anywhere, and thus HTTR should still be a thing, but that's another conversation. But HTTC, hail to the commanders, is a link to the past. So I'm a thumbs up on HTTC. I know that not everyone likes it. I know that some people can't stand it, but I do commend the commanders for taking command and changing the hashtag to HTTC. Well, here's a hashtag that we all can agree on. Hashtag H-T-P-A-N. Hail to Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not buck in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused the client's harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 902- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace.
Well, this episode of the Al Galdi Podcast, episode 309, is for Friday, May 6th. It is on this Friday, May 6th, that the Commanders are beginning a two-day rookie minicamp at the team's facility in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, the rookie minicamp is the first actual true practice for the Commanders this offseason, although players have been working out together and participating in meetings since April 18th when the team's off-season program began. Uh, we, of course, have spent a, a lot of time on the podcast this week discussing and dissecting and analyzing the Commander's 2022 draft. Uh, we've had some great guests. If you missed any of them, I'd encourage you to check out what they had to say. I spoke with NFL draft analyst Thorne Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge on Monday's show, episode 305. I spoke with North Carolina offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Phil Longo, who went in-depth on Sam Howell on Tuesday's show, episode 306. I spoke with Pro Football Focus lead college football analyst Anthony Treesh on Wednesday's show, episode 307. But something that I haven't yet talked about in this post-NFL draft week regarding the commanders is something that I'm going to get into right now. And that something is that the last seven days actually have brought quite a bit more clarity on the biggest move by the commanders this offseason, the trade for quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, it sounds dramatic to say that the commanders' 2022 offseason will be defined by what happens with Wentz as a commander's quarterback, but in a lot of ways, that's true. Uh, the number one item from a football standpoint for Washington going into this offseason was finding a franchise quarterback. The commanders made it no secret that they were all in on trying to find a franchise quarterback this offseason. And what the commanders ultimately did, of course, was make the trade with the Indianapolis Colts for Carson Wentz. Now, as you may know, uh, my initial feeling on the commanders potentially trading for Wentz before they actually agreed on the trade for Wentz was that I wanted the commanders to have nothing to do with Wentz, uh, that the Colts were willing to trade him just one year after trading for him was a massive red flag that I really could not get past, uh, to say nothing of the other red flags that had emerged or were to emerge regarding Wentz. Uh, the commanders on March 9th agreeing with the Colts on the trade for Wentz was shocking. I mean, few, if any, people beyond those involved in the trade saw the trade coming, and the terms of the trade were quite favorable to the Colts. It's so funny. The trade happened on the 10-year anniversary of the RG3 trade. Now, the Carson-Wentz trade was not as costly as the RG3 trade, but the Carson-Wentz trade was costly. Uh, the commanders to get Wentz and a 2022 seventh-round pick swapped 2022 second-round picks with the Colts, gave up a 2022 third-round pick, gave up a 2023 third-round pick that can become a 2023 second round pick, and the commanders took on the entirety of Wentz's contract, although the contract has no guaranteed money beyond the 2022 season. And so the Carson Wentz red flags, coupled with what the commanders gave up and took on in the trade for Wentz, have had a lot of people doubting this trade from a commander's perspective and not liking this trade from a commander's perspective. And I get it. I do. But when the trade happened, I stopped short of like completely ripping the commanders for the trade. Uh, I said that I had major questions about Carson Wentz. Uh, I said that it was imperative that the commanders had done proper due diligence on Wentz. But 
I never just went off trashing the commanders for the trade because I wanted to find out more, more about why the commanders made the trade, more about why the Colts had traded Wentz. Well, here we are now, uh, just about two months since the news broke on March 9th that the commanders and the Colts had agreed on the trade. And the truth is that we do now know more about the trade. We may not know everything about the trade, but we do now know more about the trade. And I have to tell you, the more that comes out about the Carson Wentz trade, and the more that I personally dig deeper on Wentz's 2021 season with the Colts, the more that I actually feel better about the trade. <laughs> yeah, I feel better about the trade. Now, understand, I'm not saying that I love the trade. I'm not saying that I have zero doubts about Carson Wentz. I'm not saying that I don't still have plenty of questions about Carson Wentz. What I am saying is that as these last two months have passed, and we've acquired more information, more data points. And uh, I, on this podcast, have spoken with people in Indianapolis about the trade. And I, like you, have thought about the trade. And I, like you, have allowed the trade to marinate in my burgundy and gold mind. Uh, I actually have started to feel better about the trade. Now, I am mindful of something that's a possibility. Uh, it was on episode 269 of the Al Galdi podcast that I had on Bob Kravitz, senior writer for The Athletic, a longtime Indianapolis sports columnist. Uh, Bob was terrific. He gave us the truth about what went wrong for Carson Wentz with the Colts and what the commanders are getting in Wentz. And one of the things that Bob said was that we, as commanders fans this offseason, would do what Colts fans did last offseason, talk ourselves into Carson Wentz, okay? So I do recognize that that can happen, and maybe that's what I have been doing over these last two months. I have been talking myself into Carson Wentz. Perhaps you yourself have been talking yourself into Carson Wentz, but I think that me feeling better about the trade is about more than just me wanting to feel better about the trade. And yes, I do want to feel better about the trade because I want the trade to work out. I want the commanders to do well. I want the commanders to finally find themselves a franchise quarterback. But I do think that me feeling better about the trade is about more than just me wanting to feel better about the trade. And the last seven days capture this. So something that I said after the commanders lost out in the Russell Wilson trade sweepstakes, but before the commanders traded for Carson Wentz. Remember, the Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos news broke on Tuesday, March 8th. The Carson Wentz to the commanders news broke on Wednesday, March 9th. So there was only a day between those two items breaking. But something that I said after the commanders lost out in the Russell Wilson trade sweepstakes, but before the commanders traded for Carson Wentz was that more and more, it was feeling to me that the path this offseason for the commanders in trying to get a franchise quarterback was the 2022 NFL draft. The ideal way to get a franchise quarterback is the NFL draft because that way you get a quarterback who is young, you get a quarterback who has minimal mileage on his body, 
You get a quarterback who has upside. You get a quarterback who is hungry. You get a quarterback who is on a rookie contract. Well, the 2022 NFL draft now is coming gone. And what happened with the quarterbacks? We had one quarterback, one, get taken over the first 73 picks in the draft. The Pittsburgh Steelers took Kenny Pickett, but not until pick number 20. Not a single quarterback was taken over the first 19 picks. Just one quarterback was taken over the first 73 picks. We had Desmond Ritter, whose stock supposedly was rising in the weeks leading up to the draft, not get taken until pick number 74. We had Malik Willis, who had been talked about as potentially being taken in the top 10, not being taken until pick number 86. We had Sam Howell, Sam I Am, who a year ago at this time was thought to be a candidate to be the number one pick in the 2022 draft, not being taken until pick number 144 by, of course, our commanders. Now, maybe the NFL is just wrong about this 2022 quarterback class. Maybe Kenny Pickett becomes a franchise quarterback and or Desmond Ritter becomes a franchise quarterback and or Malik Willis becomes a franchise quarterback and or Sam Howell becomes a franchise quarterback. But maybe the NFL isn't wrong about this 2022 quarterback class. Maybe this 2022 quarterback class just isn't very good. Maybe not a single one of the quarterbacks taken in the 2022 draft will end up becoming a franchise quarterback. And so I think that the unusually bad nature of this year's quarterback class, at least according to the NFL as a whole, provides new context to the commanders trading for Carson Wentz. Because it's one thing to think that the 2022 quarterback class isn't very good. It's another thing to have seen how the 2022 draft played out. And all of these NFL teams very clearly thought very little about this 2022 quarterback class. The commanders, for a lot of reasons, were all in this offseason on trying to get a franchise quarterback. They very clearly decided that the 2022 draft was not a great path to get a franchise quarterback in terms of someone who had a good chance of being good right away. I mean, yes, the commanders obviously liked Sam Howell, but they didn't like him enough to take him before the fifth round. And so the commanders trading for Carson Wentz now to me looks like less of a panic move and more as the commanders aggressively pursuing a potential franchise quarterback in an offseason in which the NFL draft quarterback class was woeful, again, at least in terms of perception. Now, could you argue that the commanders should have waited and would have been better off, say, trading for Matt Ryan or, say, trading for Baker Mayfield, assuming that he gets traded? Uh, Yeah, you could make that argument. But, you know, there was no guarantee on March 9th that Matt Ryan and Baker Mayfield would become available. And it's very debatable whether either guy is even better than Wentz. Uh, Now, did the commanders overpay for Carson Wentz out of not just desperation to get a franchise quarterback or a potential franchise quarterback, but also out of a fear that he would turn them down in free agency if he was released, and also out of a fear that, say, a Mitchell Trubisky would turn down the commanders in free agency? Uh, Yes, I think it's fair 
to say that. But you know what? If Wentz works out for the commanders, nobody will really care about what they gave up to get him. I mean, the commanders gave up some decent assets to get Wentz. It's not like the commanders gave up, you know, three first round picks to get Wentz. I mean, let's not overstate what the commanders gave up to get Wentz. Uh, But what happened with the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft really was stunning, okay? Like, you may have thought that one or two guys would go in the first round, but nobody thought that one quarterback would be taken over the first 73 picks in the draft, okay? Nobody thought that. The league as a whole despised this quarterback class, all right? I mean, that's as obvious as can be. And maybe the league as a whole will be proven wrong, but the league as a whole thinking as little as it does about the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft adds new and important context to the commander's trade for Carson Wentz. The commander said to themselves, this quarterback class in this upcoming draft ain't no good. So if we want to get a guy this offseason, we have to get someone either via trade or free agency. Uh, Much more on why I'm feeling better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz in moments. But if you want to feel better about your search for a new home in the Washington, D.C. area, contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a new home, contact Kellen Hunt, especially given the current environment. Uh, Interest rates are rising. Homes in the D.C. area are expensive. The competition for homes in the D.C. area can be intense, can be Stanley Cup playoff-like. Well, consider Kellen Hunt your own personal Tom Wilson. Uh, Kellen Hunt will guide you through the process of buying a home that's right for you. Did you know that in Chevy Chase, Maryland, 66% of homes are sold within 10 days of being listed. On Capitol Hill, 60% of listed homes are sold in 10 days or less. In Georgetown, 43% of sales so far this year have been cash transactions. Kellen Hunt will guide you through the process of buying a home that's right for you. You need a real estate agent who understands this market and the current environment. Kellen Hunt is that agent. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance or you have a young family looking for a bigger home or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. He understands the market. He can match you with a home that meets your needs because that's what real estate is about, right? Your needs, your dreams, finding the right place for you. Also, Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, Get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com, and book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs. Make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. That's CloseItWithKell.com, CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well. By going with Kel, visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. All right, Kellen Hunt will make you feel better about buying a home in the D.C. area. And I right now am explaining why I'm actually feeling better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. Uh, Multiple items have popped up over the last seven days that are worth discussing. How about what Colts owner and CEO Jim Ursay said this week? Did you see or hear this? Uh, Of course, something that we've talked about a lot this offseason is why the Colts traded Carson Wentz just one year after acquiring him via trade 
with the Philadelphia Eagles. And one of the things that has become obvious from Colts insiders who we've had on this podcast is that Jim Ursay drove the trading away of Carson Wentz. Now, whether Ursay was the only major person with the Colts who wanted to trade Wentz is unknown, but what's as clear as can be is that Ursay really soured on Wentz and wanted him out. Now, there has been an additional question to think about to me. Why did Jim Ursay sour? on Carson Wentz. You've heard all kinds of things. Uh, Some people have suggested that Ursay soured on Wentz because Wentz didn't get vaccinated for COVID-19. Some people have said that Ursay soured on Wentz because of Wentz's lack of leadership. Well, those things may have been reasons for Ursay turning on Wentz, but the number one reason in terms of us definitely knowing a reason for Ursay turning on Wentz is what happened in week 18 of the 2021 regular season. So if we're being honest, okay, Carson Wentz choked over the Colts' final two games in the 2021 regular season, but it was the last game that stands out the most. So you did have the Colts losing at home to the Las Vegas Raiders 23-20 in Week 17, but then you had the Colts inexplicably losing at the Jacksonville Jaguars 26-11 in Week 18. Uh, This was one of the single worst losses that you'll ever see in an NFL season. Uh, The loss for the Colts happened despite the Jags coming into the game just 2-14, despite the Jags coming into the game as 15-point underdogs. And Carson Wentz over both of these games, the Raiders game and the Jaguars game, was really bad. He had a combined total QBR per ESPN of 13, uh, QBRs on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Wentz's total QBR for the loss at the Jags was a mere 4.3. And so a season in which Carson Wentz did do a number of good things for the Colts ended up being stained by what happened over his final two games, especially that last game. Well, Jim Irsay on Monday went on the Pat McAfee show. Uh, McAfee, as you probably know, was a punter for the Colts for eight seasons, 2009 through 2016. So he and Ursay know each other well. I want to play two cuts for you. The first cut is Jim Ursay on the Colts having traded for Atlanta Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan. Take a listen. I think bringing in Matt was, was clearly an essential thing for us because we needed consistency. We needed leadership. We needed those sort of things that, that we were just, you know, missing, in, you know, in the end. And, and believe me, Carson did his best to bring it. I mean, he worked so hard. He came in, you know, just trying to bring everything he could bring, you know. And, and, and so I give him credit for that. I mean, he it's not that it, it wasn't his lack of trying or something that didn't get us there, but it just wasn't the right mix for us or him and and, um, you know, Matt is such a perfect mix here, and it really is exciting. Like I said, you look in the eyes of, you know, Frank Reich or, or Chris Ballard and people in the organization, they just turn into a big smile and just go, you know, I haven't really experienced this since Peyton's days having a guy like this. All right, so Jim Irsay right there, gushing over Matt Ryan. Uh, How about Ursay saying that the Colts haven't had a guy like Matt Ryan since Peyton Manning? I wonder what Andrew Luck thinks about that. But 
Ursay in that cut didn't just slam Carson Wentz. Uh, Ursay did say that Wentz uh, tried hard, but Ursay made it clear that Wentz and the Colts were not a good mix. Uh, those comments from Ursay on Wentz were tempered compared to previous Ursay comments on Wentz. Uh, there really was a nastiness to previous Ursay comments on Wentz. Ursay, this past March 29th at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida, sounded off on Carson Wentz, said the following about why the Colts traded Wentz, quote, I think the worst thing you can do is have a mistake and try to keep living with it going forward. It's just for us, it was just, it was something that we had to move away from as a franchise. It was very obvious, end quote. Uh, also from Jim Ursay this past March 29th, it was him going off about how Carson Wentz was to blame for that season-ending loss at Jacksonville in Week 18 of the 2021 regular season. Quote, no disrespect to Jacksonville, but I mean, they're the worst team in the league. You play well and hard for the first quarter or so, and they're looking to go to their locker room and clean it out. I've never seen anything like that in my life. You say, my God, there's something wrong here. It needs to be corrected. End quote. Uh, well, Jim Irsay on the Pat McAfee show on Monday, again, went off on that loss at Jacksonville. Ursay got asked by McAfee if Ursay was really mad about the Colts' loss at the Jags in Week 18 of last season, and here was Ursay's answer. Well, I, I, I can't say I have the words to say what I was. You know, <laughs> it, it just, you know, just, just thank God I'm a law-abiding citizen, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> that it wasn't medieval times. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just like you know, just, just you know, it was beyond you know, pissed and bewilderment. I, you know, honestly, I don't think I, I'd ever. I mean, I've experienced some losses in the last half century. You know, some really tough losses. But I don't. I've never been through anything like that. Really, I, I've never. I mean, you know, sure, we're all set up, and we lose at home to Pittsburgh or San Diego, and Peyton's here when you know we're winning oh. 13, 14 games or something. You know, after a bye week and everything, and I mean that's you know super tough. And and you know losing to New Orleans in the Super Bowl, obviously those are always you just never get over that. But but this was different. I, I had never experienced anything like this. I mean, because, again, you have to remember the game wasn't even close. I, I mean, it wasn't even. <laughs> I mean, we weren't even competitive, and to make it even seem worse, they won and still got the first pick. In the game. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's just like, how do you even, there's no logic. It's like, you know, two and two equals seven. I mean, it's like, what? I mean, I mean, I thought I'd seen everything. I thought, I, I mean, you knew there was a ghost in the machine. I mean, that's not a question of, of being a little bit, you know, well, we were a little, I don't know why we're a little flat today. Flat? Flat? I, that, I mean, that is not flat. I don't, I don't have a word for what it is, but, you know, I, it just, it, you know, flat doesn't do it. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, it really was something, um, Honestly, it was something. I mean, you know, after the Raider game, it was so hard because you're eight-point favorites at home, and you want it. That's where you got to get it. You really want to clinch that there. But everyone is just figuring, well, you know, thank God, you know, we get to go to Jacksonville, you know. And, I, and again, it wasn't even competitive. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying?
All right, that was quite the rant from Jim Ursay, and that was pretty funny, okay? I mean, what Ursay said and how he said what he said was funny, uh, but I also do think that what Ursay said was very telling. Uh, Jim Ursay obviously was disgusted by the Colts' loss at Jacksonville in Week 18 of last season, and what I now really wonder about is this. Is that loss at the Jags the reason that the Colts traded it? Carson Wentz. Like all of this stuff about Wentz not getting vaccinated for COVID and Wentz not being the greatest leader and Wentz being inconsistent as a quarterback and Wentz having some boneheaded interceptions. I'm not saying that there's nothing to all of that. But boy, I watched Jim Mersey with Pat McAfee and I said to myself, could it be that the loss at Jacksonville is in fact the reason that the Colts traded Carson Wentz. Like, forget about that loss being a reason. Is it, in fact, the reason that the Colts traded Wentz? Because if that's true, I do think that that's important information for us as Commanders fans. There's no doubt that Carson Wentz choked over the final two games of the Colts' 2021 season, especially in that loss at Jacksonville in Week 18. And Wentz essentially admitted to that in his introductory press conference for the Commanders. But what's also true is that Wentz wasn't the only problem for the Colts in that loss at Jacksonville. Go back and watch the game, or at least read about the game. Uh, The Colts' defense allowed the Jags to begin the game with a 12-play, 75-yard drive that resulted in a touchdown. The Colts for the game allowed the Jags to go 7-15 of on third downs. Uh, The Colts' first offensive drive ended on a turnover on downs as running back Jonathan Taylor got stuffed for a one-yard run on a fourth and two at the Jags' 42. Uh, Taylor got stuffed again in the fourth quarter, this on a fourth and goal at the one. Uh, He got stuffed for no gain. Now look, Wentz was bad, really bad in the game, but if you're being fair, he wasn't the Colts' only problem in the game. There's also this. One of the worst things that you can do in sports is allow one game, even two games, to fundamentally alter your position on someone. Now, maybe Jim Irsay already was souring on Carson Wentz, and what happened at Jacksonville was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know? But if Irsay still was open to having Wentz back as the Colts starting quarterback for the 2022 season, and that loss at the Jags, that one game, as awful as it was for the Colts, turned Irsay on Wentz and caused Irsay to demand that Wentz be traded this offseason. Well, then I think that that is important context for us as Commanders fans. Wentz had a terrible game at Jacksonville in Week 18 of last season. This off him having not been good in the Colts' previous game, the loss at home to the Raiders in Week 17. But what's also true is that Wentz played quite well in a number of other games for the Colts last season. Uh, Yes, his play over the Colts' final two games of the season helped to cost the Colts a playoff spot. But what's also true is that the Colts would not have been in contention for a playoff spot if not for some of what Wentz had done earlier in the season. Uh, ESPN's total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. Anything over like 60 is good. Listen to what Carson Wentz did in the 2021 regular season in some big road wins for the Colts. Uh, Week four of last season, the Colts won at the Miami Dolphins 27-17. Carson Wentz in that game had a total QBR of 
point two. Week seven of last season, the Colts won at the San Francisco 49ers 30-18. Carson Wentz in that game had a total QBR of 83.8. Week 11 of last season, the Colts won at the Buffalo Bills 41-15. Carson Wentz in that game had a total QBR of 71.9. Week 16 of last season, the Colts won at the Arizona Cardinals 22-16. Carson Wentz in that game had a total QBR of 76.1. Right there are four big road wins for the Colts in the 2021 regular season. Wins at the Dolphins, 49ers, Bills, and Cardinals. Wentz in each of those games had a total QBR of at least 71.9. Even if you don't totally buy in to total QBR, that's pretty impressive. Four big road wins and Wentz in each of those games had a total QBR of at least 71.9. Another road game for the Colts last season was a 31-25 overtime loss at the Baltimore Ravens in week five. Uh, So yes, that was a loss for the Colts. But listen to what Carson Wentz did in that game. 25 of 35 for 402 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. And he took just two sacks. Uh, His total QBR for the game was 58.5. Look, as you likely know by now, I have major questions about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. But the more that I dig on Wentz's 2021 season, and the more that we find out about why exactly the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for Wentz, the more that I am encouraged. I mean, it's hard to feel great about the trade because, again, there are these red flags that are impossible to ignore. And we've talked so much about the red flags, but I don't think that you have to feel awful about the trade. Like, it's not about feeling great or awful about the trade. There is a middle ground that you can feel with this trade. Uh, Here's something else on Carson Wentz that I recently came across, by the way. Wentz, for the 2021 regular season, was number one among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in Football Outsiders DVOA metric on pass attempts of at least 20 air yards. So Wentz in the 2021 regular season was the most efficient quarterback in the NFL on deep passes. How about that? I mean, who expected that to be true? And yet it is true. So like I said earlier, I recognize that it's possible that I'm just talking myself into liking the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. I get that. I'm aware of that possibility. But what I just gave you are a bunch of facts. Like, I'm not making these numbers up, okay? All of these things are true, all right? This is not fake news. This is true news. This is not Russian disinformation, okay? This is fact, verified fact. Uh, The truth about Carson Wentz's 2021 season is that it was complicated and multi-layered and nuanced. And it's not as simple as he sucks, just like it's not as simple as he's great. But he, for a good chunk of last season, was good. And if the Colts traded Wentz basically because of two bad games at the end of the season, especially the last game of the Colts' 2021 season, well, okay, all right? But the bigger body of work that was his entire 2021 season matters more than just those two games in terms of evaluating him as a quarterback and in terms of evaluating what the commanders are getting in Wentz. And then here's another thing that has emerged over the last seven days 
that has me feeling better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. Uh, It really has become clear to me and I know to others that the commanders are poised to be surrounding Wentz with a much better cast of offensive players than the Colts did. Uh, Now, yes, the Colts have running back Jonathan Taylor, and he's phenomenal. I mean, he in the 2021 regular season was the best running back in the NFL by far. And yes, the Colts have a good receiver in Michael Pittman Jr. And there are some other talented players on the Colts offense. But you know what? If you think about it, and you're being honest, okay? And I'm not trying to be a Commanders fanboy here, but you know, I also think that people go too far in the other direction and they just hate everything about the Commanders. But the Commanders are giving Carson Wentz a better cast of offensive players than the Colts did, okay? I'm not telling you that the Commanders are the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of offensive weapons, but I will gladly take Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dodson, Logan Thomas, Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick over the Colts' top skill position players to say nothing of what guys like, you know, Brian Robinson Jr. and Cole Turner could be. And then there is each team's offensive line, and this may well be the biggest item of all. Washington's offensive line in the 2021 regular season blew away the Colts' offensive line in terms of pass blocking. Now, the Colts' offensive line in the 2021 regular season was good in terms of run blocking, but so too was Washington's offensive line. But Washington for the 2021 regular season for Pro Football Focus had the number six offensive line in the NFL in terms of pass blocking efficiency. The Colts for the 2021 regular season had the number 30 offensive line in the NFL in terms of pass blocking efficiency. And if you don't want to buy into what PFF has to say, how about what ESPN has to say? Washington for the 2021 regular season, it was number nine in the NFL in ESPN's team pass block win rate. The Colts were 20th. Did you see what NFL analyst Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network tweeted on Wednesday evening? Quote, lukewarm take, Carson Wentz has a better surrounding cast in Washington than he did with the Colts. End quote. Rosenthal wasn't wrong. So yeah, (laughs) this is where I'm at with the commander's trade for Carson Wentz. And again, I still have concerns. I still have questions. I do think that there is an at least decent chance that the trade does not work out for the commanders. I will not be surprised if the trade does not work out for the commanders. I will not be surprised if Carson Wentz isn't even on the team a year from now. But yeah, I am feeling better about the trade. And that's because of what has emerged since the trade happened, including multiple items over the last seven days. Up next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, I don't know about you, but I did not have a good feeling going into Thursday night's Game 2 for the Capitals against the Florida Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, The Caps in their 4-2 win at the Panthers on Tuesday night were the better team. It was great to see that. But it seemed like a mighty big ask to expect the Caps to be the better team for a second consecutive game at Florida in this series, given who the Panthers are, the President's Trophy winning team for the 2021-2022 regular season, during which the Panthers had an NHL leading 122 points. It seemed unlikely that the Panthers would play in Game 2 as they did in Game 1. And remember, the Caps over the final month of their 2021-2022 regular season were very up and down, were very Jekyll and Hyde. And so it seemed rather unlikely that the Caps in Game 2 would be as good as the Caps were in Game 1. And unfortunately, what we got on Thursday night was a really bad Caps loss. Uh, The Caps on Thursday night got ripped at the Panthers 5-1. This game became a laugher. Uh, So the series now is even at 1. The Caps were without Tom Wilson. He did not play due to a lower body injury that he suffered in Game 1. But no, Tom Wilson is not why the Caps got smashed on Thursday night. The Caps got smashed on Thursday night because they were horrendous, okay? Point blank, period. Uh, Let's start with the goaltending. Vitek Vanacek on Thursday night was the Caps' starting goaltender for a second consecutive game. He, in Game 1, was very good. He stopped 30 of the 32 shots on goal that he faced. But Vitek Vanacek in Game 2 was awful. Uh, He stopped just 14 of the 19 shots on goal that he faced, and he got pulled after two periods in favor of Ilya Samsonov. So Vitek Vanacek, it's not just that he gave up five goals on Thursday night, it's that he gave up five goals over the first two periods on Thursday night. Now, Samsonov was good. Uh, Samsonov in the third period stopped all 17 of the shots on goal that he faced. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Thursday night on the performance of Ilya Samsonov. I thought he came in and played well because I don't think we played very well in the third at all. So I thought he came in and made some saves. He had a lot of shots from outside. He got the field of pucks, so that was good. But um, had to make a couple of saves as well. So yeah, uh, just two games into this series, (laughs) we already 
have a goaltending controversy for the Caps. And my guess is that Ilya Samsonov will be the Caps starting goaltender for Game 3 at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon at 1. But the truth is that neither Ilya Samsonov nor Vitek Vanacek is a good goaltender, okay? Now, each guy is capable of playing well. There's no doubt about that. But neither guy can be trusted. Neither goaltender can be trusted. Game in, game out. You don't know what you're going to get from either guy. Uh, Vanacek on Thursday night for natural stat trick stopped just two of the five high danger shots on goal that he faced. And he gave up a goal on a low danger shot on goal. And he gave up a goal on a medium danger shot on goal. And Vanacek committed a penalty. Uh, Vanacek on Thursday night in the first period committed a delay of game puck over glass penalty. So we had that with Vitek Vanacek on Thursday night. Like I said, Samsonov on Thursday night was good. He per natural stat trick stopped all six of the high danger shots on goal that he faced. But this is Ilya Samsonov. One game he's great, the next game he's bad. He can't be trusted, just like Vitek Vanacek can't be trusted. Uh, The worst goal by far that Vanacek allowed on Thursday night was the Mason Marchman even-trained goal, 3-11 into the second period. This was brutal uh, for multiple reasons. So Marchman scored on a wrister from the right circle. Vanacek was not at all screened, and he allowed the puck to go right through his legs, right through the old five hole. That's what you call a bad goal. And the goal was especially bad because the goal came just 27 seconds after a Nicholas Backstrom power play goal that cut the Caps' deficit to 2-1. So the Caps were down 2 nothing, got within one thanks to the Backstrom power play goal, and then a mere 27 seconds later, Vitek Vanacek allowed a softie, and the Caps were back to being down by two goals. Just a killer if you're a Caps fan. Uh, now, in fairness to Vitek Vanacek, there were multiple goals on which there wasn't a ton that he could have done. Uh, Take the Alexander Barkov even-strength goal, 17.58 into the first period. Uh, The goal really was the result of Jonathan Huberdeau being Jonathan Huberdeau. Jonathan Huberdeau is one of the best forwards in the NHL, and he, in the moments leading up to the Barkov goal, put on a puck-handling clinic. Jonathan Huberdeau danced through the right circle, okay? He didn't skate through the right circle. He danced through the right circle with the puck, went forehand, backhand, and then found Barkov in front of the left post as Barkov got position on Garnett Hathaway. Uh, Also on Thursday night, the Caps got walloped in the puck possession battle, including putting forth a hideous third period. The way that the Caps ended this game on Thursday night was really bad. Uh, So for the game, the Caps per natural stat trick had just 38 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Panthers' 56, including just seven high-danger 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Panthers' 14. So the Caps on Thursday night got doubled up by the Panthers in terms of high-danger 5-on-5 shot attempts. Now look, winning the puck possession battle against the Panthers isn't easy. The Panthers finished the regular season at number one in the NHL in 5-on-5 shot attempt percentage at 56.5. But what was especially disappointing about this game with the Caps was their third period. The Caps per natural stat trick in a third period in which they trailed for the entire third period at 5-1 totaled a mere nine 5-on-5 shot attempts 
to the Panthers' 23, including zero high-danger five-on-five shot attempts to the Panthers' six, and the Caps in the third period. Are you ready for this? Total just three shots on goal to the Panthers' 17. Again, the Caps trailed for the entirety of the third period, 5-1. There were no goals scored in the third period on Thursday night. And yet with the Caps down by four goals for the entirety of that third period, you didn't see any desperation from the Caps. And if anything, the Panthers played with desperation. Again, 17 shots on goal to the Caps three in that third period. That was shameful, okay? That was a shameful third period by the Caps on Thursday night. Here was some more from Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Thursday night. The way we played the first period, I thought we did just about everything right, and we're down to nothing. Um, and then even to start the second period, I thought that we were <clears throat> doing the right things, and you know they get a third and a fourth, and then, then I thought our game unraveled from there. The last probably seven minutes of the second period and then the third period we didn't do anything so um, it was one of those games where um, uh, the score the score shows you know it goes to three and then four and uh, for, for it's for, it wasn't a reflection for me of the game but after that I don't like how we played when it was four to one you know that's that's the problem that I have with the game Also on Thursday night, yes, we have more to go through in terms of what went wrong for the Caps in this 5-1 loss at the Panthers in Game 2 of the series. Uh, The Caps on Thursday night turned pucks over like crazy. I mean, the Caps were turning pucks over like the Caps were throwing the game, okay? The Caps finished the game with 21 giveaways to the Panthers' six. I mean, think about that, 21 giveaways to the Panthers' six. There just was so much not to like about the Caps' performance on Thursday night. Uh, the Caps did win the special teams battle, so there was that. Uh, the Caps went 4-4 on the penalty kill and 1-3 on the power play as Nicholas Backstrom had a power play goal 244 into the second period on a nice uh, near zero-degree angle shot from beneath the right circle to beat Panthers goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, Alex Ovechkin was good on Thursday night. That's true. He had a primary assist, a game-high five shots on goal, a game-high nine shot attempts, and six hits. He did, though, have three giveaways. But I mentioned Ovi having six hits. The caps for the game, 60 hits to the Panthers, 39. So there were a few things here and there that you could grab onto in terms of positives for the Cavs. But overall, this was a disaster of a game too, okay? Let's make that clear. Thursday night was a really bad night for the Cavs. And, you know, it's just really disconcerting because you see how well the Cavs are capable of playing. We saw that in game one, but you also see how poorly the Cavs are capable of playing We saw that in game two, and we saw this over the final month of the Caps' regular season. The Caps had some tremendous wins. The Caps had some really off-putting losses. You can always email me, Podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Philip C., the PhD, on the Panthers' first goal on Thursday night, the Aaron Ekblad, even tramp goal, 16-20 into the first period. Writes Phil. 
Thursday's game showed how hard it will be for the Cavs to slow down the Panthers. The first goal appeared on its surface to be a lucky goal, but there is not as much pure luck involved in hockey as many people think. To wit, over the last 13 years, the Stanley Cup has been won by the Chicago Blackhawks and Pittsburgh Penguins three times each, and the Tampa Bay Lightning and Los Angeles Kings twice each, accounting for over 75% of the championship spread among just four teams since 2009. Likely, there is a better explanation for those clusters of wins than pure luck. Now back to the Panthers' lucky goal. At first glance, it appeared to be a lucky bounce of the puck. However, that goal, and many others like it in hockey, remind me of the saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get. In fact, that first goal for Florida was a result of a bad clear by Washington, followed by an excellent pass from the boards around a defender and to a well-positioned Panther on the point, who, by the way, had the good sense to shoot rather than do anything else. Whatever luck was involved favored the team that made good plays and penalized the team that made the mistakes. Of course, the game was pretty much downhill from there. All three of the following goals by Florida involved poor positioning of Washington defenders and or turnovers by Washington. The Caps pretty much lost control of the game after that. Uh, Yes, they did. Good email, Phil. Thank you. Uh, Thursday night, not good. Saturday afternoon, hopefully, will be a lot better. Game three for the Caps against the Panthers at Capital One Arena, Saturday afternoon at one. Well, remarkably, national starting pitchers have been very good over the first two games of a three-game series at the Colorado Rockies at Coors Field, which, as you likely know, for decades has been like a torture chamber for Major League pitchers. Uh, That run of very good starting pitching for the Nats did come to an end on Thursday as the Nats lost at the Rockies 9-7. So the Nats ended up losing two or three games in the series. Nats now 3-3 on their nine-game road trip out west. Nats now 9-18 overall this season. Uh, Tuesday night, we had a 10-2 Nats win at the Rockies. Eric Fetty was really good. One run in seven innings became the first Nats starting pitcher to complete at least seven innings in a game this season. Wednesday night, we had a 5-2 Nats loss at the Rockies, but Patrick Corbin tossed a complete game. He gave up five runs, but only three of the runs were earned when eight innings became the first Nats starting pitcher this season to toss a complete game. Uh, But in Thursday's 9-7 loss at the Rockies, Aaron Sanchez had a rough go of it. Uh, He allowed seven runs, six earned in four and a third innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch. He did record four strikeouts. You know, Sanchez does throw strikes. He did throw strikes on Thursday, 84 pitches, 56 strikes versus 28 balls. Uh, But Sanchez on Thursday struggled, especially in a four-run rocky second. Sanchez in the bottom of the second, gave up four runs, three earned, all four runs scored with no outs. Uh, Sanchez gave up a leadoff double to Ryan McMahon toward the right field corner on a 1-2 pitch. Sanchez then gave up a first pitch opposite field RBI double to Brendan Rodgers to the right center field gap to cut the Nats lead to 2-1. We then got another error by Nats shortstop, Alcides Escobar. That's now three errors over the last 
two games. Escobar committed a fielding error on a grounder off the bat of Sam Hilliard as Escobar, while in a shift and playing on the first base side of second base, bobbled the grounder. And then came the big blow. Uh, Sanchez, on the very next pitch after the Escobar error, gave up a first pitch three-run homer to Garrett Hampson to left field for a 4-2 Rockies lead. And then Sanchez, later in the inning, issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Yonatan Daza. Uh, Sanchez in the Rockies' four-run fifth was charged with three runs. He gave up a leadoff single to Charlie Blackman through the right side of the infield. Uh, Sanchez gave up a one-out broken bat bloop single to Randall Gritchick in left field on a 1-2 pitch, and that ball went off Alcides Escobar, who was running toward the outfield with his back to home plate. So that was a tough play to make. Uh, and then Sanchez gave up a one-out RBI single to C.J. Crone up the middle on an 0-2 pitch for a 5-3 Rockies lead. And that was it. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez pulled Sanchez from the game. And Sanchez's final line was made to look even worse thanks to Josh Rogers. Uh, Rogers came into the game bottom of the fifth, one out, runners on first and second, and the Nats trailing 5-3. And Rogers did get two strikeouts, but he sandwiched the two strikeouts around giving up a two-out, three-run homer to Brendan Rogers to center field on a 1-2 pitch for an 8-3 Rockies lead. Uh, this was Aaron Sanchez's third major league start for the Nats this season. The Nats on April 23rd selected the contract of Sanchez from AAA Rochester. Uh, Sanchez in his Nats major league regular season debut, 5-2 loss to the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park on April 23rd, four runs in four into third innings. And then Sanchez in a 14-4 win at the Giants on April 29th, allowed three runs in five innings. So, you know, Aaron Sanchez is a reclamation project. The Nats this past March signed him to a minor league deal. And he so far has pitched the way that you would expect a reclamation project to pitch. I mean, you know, he hasn't been atrocious, but he obviously has not been very good. Uh, four Nats relievers on Thursday combined to give up two runs in three and two-thirds innings. Uh, Josh Rogers officially allowed one run in one and two-thirds innings. Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the seventh gave up a one-out opposite field solo homer to Randall Gritchick to right field for a 9-6 Rockies lead. Austin Voth in the bottom of the eighth faced four batters. He got two outs, but he then issued a single and a walk and got pulled from the game. Steve Ciszek came into the game in the bottom of the eighth. Runners on first and second, two outs. That's down 9-7, and Ciszek got the job done, struck out Yonatan Daza on three pitches. But the Nats pitching overall on Thursday was not good. Uh, the Nats hitting on Thursday, though, was good. Uh, fourth time in six games on this nine-game road trip out west that the Nats offense was really good. Going to be interesting to see if we look back upon this road trip as just a nice road trip for the Nats offense, or if we look back upon this road trip as the road trip on which the Nats bats finally got going in this 2022 season. But the Nats on Thursday, seven runs, 15 hits, three walks, four for 14 with runners in scoring position. A big game for Juan Soto. He got on base four times, including uh, providing two extra base hits. Soto as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, two for three with a solo homer, a double and two walks. Uh, Soto in the Nats two-run first had a one-out solo homer to right field despite having been down in the count at one point. One-two, the homer went a projected 411 feet per stat cast. Uh, Soto in the Nats one-run fifth drew a six-pitch walk despite having been down to the count at 1.12, although Soto did then get picked off at third base for the first out. That was not good. Uh, Soto in the Nats two-run seventh drew a leadoff six-pitch walk, and Soto in the top of the eighth had a two-out opposite field double 
off the left field wall. A big game for Josh Bell off him having gone 0 for 4 on Wednesday night. Bell on Thursday as an at starting first baseman and number three batter. Two for four with an RBI double, a single, and a walk. Bell in the Nats two run first through a win out seven pitch walk despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Bell in the Nats one run fifth had a first pitch RBI double to deep center field to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3. And Bell in the Nats two run seventh had a single to center field. Uh, no Nelson Cruz again. Uh, he on Thursday did not play for a second consecutive game due to back stiffness. Uh, K-Bear Ruiz on Thursday did play, and he was terrific. Uh, Ruiz as an at starting catcher and number six batter, two for five with a leadoff homer and an RBI double. Uh, Ruiz in the Nats one run six had a leadoff homer to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 8-4. The homer went a projected 424 feet per stat cast. Ruiz in the Nats two run seventh had a two out RBI double down the right field line to cut the Nats deficit to 8-6. And Ruiz had a really impressive defensive play throughout Yonatan Daza on an attempted steal of second base for the third out in the Rockies four run second. Uh, Ruiz fired a bullet to Cesar Hernandez at second base. Second big game for Ruiz in this series. He on Tuesday night went three for four with a double, a two-run single, an RBI single, and a walk. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez on Thursday remained hot. He was an ad starting DH and number four batter, two for five with two singles. He in the top of the third had a two-out first pitch opposite field single to left field and a stolen base. And Yadiel in the top of the fifth had a one-out single to center field on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, Michael Franco on Thursday was good. He was an ad starting third baseman and number five batter, three for five with an RBI double and two singles. Uh, Franco in the top of the third, a two-out first pitch single through the left side of the infield. Franco in the Nats, two runs seventh, a two-out opposite field RBI double down the right field line on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 8-5. And Franco in the top of the ninth, a one-out single through the right side of the infield. A lot of guys got in on the act here in this game on Thursday. Victor Robles on Thursday had a double. He was an ad starting center fielder and number eight batter, one for three with a double. Uh, Robles in the Nats, one run eighth, had a leadoff double toward the left field corner. And even Alcides Escobar had a hit on Thursday. Uh, Escobar as an ad starting shortstop and number nine batter, one for four with a single. Uh, but he committed that error. Again, three errors over the last two games. And uh, two of the three errors have proven to be costly because, like I said, that fielding error that he committed in that four-run Rocky second, the very next pitch ended up being that three-run homer by Garrett Hampson. Not that Escobar gave up the homer or could have foreseen the homer, but still, like shortstop is a premium defensive position. If you have a bad fielder at shortstop, uh, it's tough. It's really tough. And you know, I'm not going to do the whole Luis Garcia conversation again, but the reason that Luis Garcia is being uh, kept at AAA Rochester as opposed to being promoted back to the majors is his defense. Uh, well, Alcides Escobar's defense is not good at shortstop. So I know that Nats management has concerns about Garcia's defense, but would he really be any worse than what Alcides Escobar has been defensively at shortstop? so far this season. Uh, also, D. Strange Gordon played for the Nats on Thursday. The Nats this past Tuesday activated D. Strange Gordon from what the Nats called the injured list, but what everyone uh, understands was the COVID injured list. D. Strange Gordon had COVID, that's pretty clear. Uh, D. Strange Gordon on Thursday was the Nats uh, starting left fielder and number seven batter, one for five with a single. He in the top of the second had a leadoff first pitch single to right field. Uh, next up for the Nats is a three-game series at 
the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, this should be a fun series, right? Angels, of course, have the ex-nat Anthony Rendon. Angels, of course, have maybe the single biggest star in Major League Baseball in Shohei Otani. And the Angels, of course, have the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Uh, game one, Friday night at 9.38, Yoan Adon will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 9.07, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 4.07, Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, Thursday was May 5th. It was Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Thursday also was a special day for the Orioles in multiple ways. Uh, Thursday was the one-year anniversary of John Means' no-hitter at the Seattle Mariners. And Thursday ended up being the day on which we learned of major Orioles news. We, on Thursday, had multiple reports that the Orioles are promoting catcher Adley Rutschman and lefty starting pitcher D.L. Hall to AAA Norfolk. Uh, This is a big deal. And if you are an O's fan, you know that. Uh, The Orioles' top overall prospect in Rutschman, the Phenom, uh, and the Orioles' number two pitching prospect in Hall are being promoted to AAA Norfolk, uh, meaning that they'll be just a step away from the majors. Next stop for Adley Rutschman, next stop, for D.L. Hall, Major League Baseball. This is what this Orioles rebuild has been about, loading up on prospects who eventually deliver at the Major League level. This is what all of the losing, all of the tanking for years now for the O's is about, getting these prospects and then summoning them to the majors where hopefully the prospects deliver on being, wait for it, prospects. Uh, So this is exciting, no doubt about that. Uh, Adley Rutschman per MLB Pipeline is the number two prospect in baseball. Uh, The O's took Rutschman with the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Oregon State. He recently came back from a right tricep strain, but looked really good over just a few games for AA Bowie. Uh, D.L. Hall per MLB Pipeline is the number 88 prospect in baseball. The O's took Hall with the number 21 overall pick in the 2017 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. Uh, Hall in the 2021 season pitched for AA Bowie, uh, did total just 31 and two-thirds innings due to a stress reaction in his left elbow, but he is off to AAA Norfolk. So big, big picture news for the O's on Thursday, and then a nice win for the O's on Thursday night. Uh, A 5-3 win over the Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for a split of a four-game series as the O's, for a second consecutive game, Joe Angel, were in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's this season now are 10 and 16. Second straight big offensive game for the O's. Uh, the O's in a 9-4 win over the Twins on Wednesday night pounded the former Orioles starter Dylan Bundy, who gave up nine runs in three and two-thirds innings. The O's on Thursday night smashed five solo homers. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle 
as the Orioles starting first baseman and number five batter, two for four with two solo homers. Cedric Mullins as the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, two for three with a solo homer and a double. Austin Hayes as the Orioles starting left fielder and number four batter, two for four with a solo homer and a single. And he had an outfield assist. And Jorge Mateo, the Orioles starting shortstop and number nine batter, two for three with a solo homer and a triple. So the O's, who have not been a good hitting team overall this season, uh, have been much better here over these last two games. Uh, The Orioles' starting pitcher on Thursday night was Spencer Watkins. He did struggle three runs in four and two-thirds innings, but the Orioles' bullpen on Thursday night was really good. Four Orioles relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings. Jorge Lopez continuing to be really good as a reliever of having struggled as a starter. Lopez on Thursday night, one and a third scoreless innings. His ERA for the season now at 132. Next up for the O's is a three-game series against the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05, Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Bruce Zimmerman will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 310, will feature Commander's Talk off their rookie minicamp on Friday and Saturday. I'll talk Capitals, so their first round series in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now moves to home, moves to Washington, D.C., game three at Capital One Arena, Saturday afternoon at one, with the series now tied at one. Uh, and I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. So the Nats this weekend will be at the Los Angeles Angels for a three-game series. The O's this weekend will face the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for a three-game series. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Everyone is just figuring, well, you know, thank God, you know, we get to go to Jacksonville, you know. And, I t- and again, it wasn't even competitive. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com